Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. So as I mentioned, we are getting ready to read the Bible through as a congregation, and we're spending these three weeks getting ready for that, kind of considering some of those major questions about the Bible. And so to, to launch into that question today, I'm going to read from Genesis. This is chapter 32, verses 22 to 32. Jacob got up during the night, took his two wives, his two women servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed the Jabbok River's shallow water. He took them and everything that belonged to him and helped them cross the river. But Jacob stayed apart by himself, and a man wrestled with him until dawn broke. When the man saw that he couldn't defeat Jacob, he grabbed Jacob's thigh and tore a muscle in Jacob's thigh as he wrestled with him. The man said, let me go because the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I won't let you go until you bless me. He said to Jacob, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name won't be Jacob any longer, but Israel. Because you struggled with God and with men and won. Jacob also asked and said, tell me your name. But he said, why do you ask for my name? And he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel because I've seen God face to face and my life has been saved. The sun rose as Jacob passed Penuel, limping because of his thigh. Therefore, Israelites don't eat the tendon attached to the thigh muscle to this day because he grabbed Jacob's thigh muscle at the tendon. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes that we might see and know the word you have for us this day. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Okay, so as I mentioned, I'm, I'm covering some of those major questions that I get asked about the Bible and one of the major questions I get asked is, what do we do with difficult scriptures? And sometimes they mean scriptures that are just difficult to understand, but other times they mean things like, what do we do about the scriptures about genocide and abuse and murder? What do we do about those? And so I want us to come at this with the short answer in mind. The short answer to that question is, we wrestle with God. I wanted to look at this passage because this passage is central to Jewish identity and that's the faith upon which we stand. They draw their name from this passage. Now it's an interesting thing. Why, why didn't they call themselves Israelites? Why did they name their nation Israel and not the Abrahamites? Abraham is the founder of their faith, the father of their faith. Or even, why not name themselves after Jacob, who has, who has born most of the tribes at this point? Um, why don't they be the Jacobites? Why Israel? Why choose Israel? I think specifically, they have chosen this as their name because of this moment. Because Israel means wrestles with God. They want to be this people. They recognize they are this people, the people who wrestles with God, not the people who is at ease with God, not the people who kicks back and enjoys a nice beverage with God. No, these, these are the people who wrestle with God. 
And that, that reflection of who they are is also viewed in their relationship with God through Scripture. Scripture for the Jews is not prescriptive. It is, it is a narration of the journey of faith. And in that narration, we see that the journey of faith is messy and confusing and beautiful and a struggle. They don't view scripture as a book that always gives answers, but as often they view scripture as a book that generates more questions. In fact, that, that is the Jewish approach to scripture. It's frequently referred to as Midrash, and Midrash asks questions. Midrash comes to the text with questions and sometimes finds answers, but sometimes are just left with more questions. But that's holy, that space of questioning and in fact, it is so holy that they have what's called the Talmud. And if you've looked at the Talmud, the Talmud has the Torah in the center of it. And then all around the Talmud are the writings of rabbis through the ages that are arguing about what the, this part of the Torah means. They have, and, and the Talmud is a holy book for them. They have made the Talmud special. They have, they have lifted up arguing about the scripture not agreeing about it, but questioning it and wondering about it and having different perspectives on it. And they consider that a very holy place. I never assumed that what you do is you take the text at face value. To read this book from a, just a, a, a flat, literal perspective is not true to how Jews understand this book. And that's the foundation upon which we stand. So how did we get this push toward biblical literalism? And I think there were three things at work. One, I think, was the closing of the canon, um, which is when, when we decided which books specifically were going to be in the Bible. And that happens to the Hebrew Bible or what we term as the Old Testament. There's a debate about when that actually happened, but roughly most people agree somewhere around the end of the second century. So around the end of the 100s, the Hebrew Bible, um, and then what we would consider the Old Testament was decided on. And then we decided on the New Testament text somewhere in the fourth century. So in about the 300s. Now, closing this down didn't necessarily have to, have to mean that we, that we go to a literal perspective. In fact, we've seen that the Jews take these, these texts and still argue and debate about them. But I think what it did was put boundaries around the conversation. And boundaries can be a good thing or boundaries can be a challenge. Alone wouldn't have been an issue. But then you add in a couple of other things, including interaction with Islam. So if you're unfamiliar, the revelation of the Quran happens between 610 and 632 CE. And what we are told about the Quran is that Muhammad went into a cave and received from an angel the dictation of the Quran. It was literally dictated word for word to Muhammad and Muhammad wrote it down. And that's the story of their holy text. That's never been the story of ours. Um, it's, it's a question of being dictated versus being inspired. Ours, we felt that God and the Holy Spirit was present in the writing of it and is still present in the reading and the interpret interpreting of it. But it's a dynamic space. 
There is also a difference in the genres of the two books. Largely, the Quran is written didactically, which means you're told something, then you're told the lesson you're supposed to get from it. Whereas, mostly the Bible, there's lots of different types of literature in it, but mostly the Bible is narrative, which means we're told stories. And then we have to decide what to do with those stories. And somewhere along the way, some folks decided that the Quran's story was better, that this idea that God dictated something was better and tried to lay claim for that for the Bible, even though it's nowhere in our history. But they tried to lay claim for, for it for the Bible, but they didn't recognize the, the, the struggle with, with a text being dictated by God. A text dictated by God lacks some fluidity. And so when the Quran was revealed, it was actually one of the most forward-thinking treatments of women in the world, in, in religious texts. But it stuck because it was dictated. And so to continue the advances of women is, is a struggle for that reason, just as one example. We made this assumption that that was an enviable story but we, we, we don't see the problem with that. Now, the third thing that I think influenced this move towards literalism in the Bible was this age of enlightenment, which is where we get this move to post-Christendom, which is where the title for the sermon comes from. And in the age of enlightenment, which happens in about 1700s, remember in the 1700s, that's when all the big revolutions happened, the um, the. American Revolution, the French Revolution, and what was happening was they were overturning these all long-held authorities. The monarchy was being challenged, and so was the church and the Bible. There's a rise in scientific mindset, and when it comes to the Bible, people have access to the text that they never had before. We talked last week about the fact that we had the printing press came to be, and so we could now mass produce the Bible, but also we got this move to producing the Bible in languages people could actually read. So it wasn't just the clergy that could tell you what was in the Bible. Now you could pick up a Bible yourself and see what was in it. And you could see a lot of the things that maybe hadn't been coming out so much in church. A lot of the inconsistencies, a lot of the, uh, the contradictions, a lot of the challenging texts. You could suddenly see them and you could ask questions. And so what then happened was was there were, there were these, this rise in the scientific approach, and some people tried to turn this book into a scientific textbook to meet the expectations of the world. But this was never meant to be a scientific textbook. Scientific textbooks are concerned with data and facts. This book is concerned with truth. Truth talks about things like beauty. Truth talks about things like love and justice and faith. And these are not things that can be proven with data and facts. These are things that are beyond that. To try to turn this book into a scientific textbook is to miss the point altogether. That's not its goal. That's not what it's meant for. Nonetheless, some would approach it that way. Now, we'll talk next week about how Methodists don't approach it that way. We don't treat this as a scientific textbook. We're going to talk about how we read this together in community. But there were some that were like, we're going to, we need to make this into science. And they doubled down on literalism. But here's the thing. 
to have a literalist approach to the Bible, to read everything and just take it at flat face value without raising questions, without digging deeper into it. The only way to do that successfully is to not read the Bible. Because if you read the Bible, then you run into some problems. So I've I've marked a couple of things here. These are just some of my favorites that I love to look at. Um, And this is is from Proverbs 26. This is 26, 4 and 5. There is not a verse between these two verses. They are back to back. Listen to these verses. Don't answer fools according to their folly, or you will become like them yourself. Answer fools according to their folly, or they will deem themselves wise. (laughs) Right? What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to answer fools according to their folly, or don't answer fools according to their folly? I don't really know. Back to back. And the truth of the matter is this is wisdom literature. And wisdom literature understands sometimes you do one of those and sometimes you do the other. And you have to take into account the context, the person that you're dealing with, the reality, the relationship that you have. One of those, one of those statements is wise at any given moment, but not both of them. What you have to do is figure out which one is. And then I'm gonna read for you all my favorite crazy verse from the Bible. As we read through this together, I may find a new one, but this is my favorite crazy verse from the Bible. And just imagine, you know, you hear sometimes that people will just open the Bible and read a verse and they'll take that as their lesson for their life, right? So imagine you did this. Imagine you throw open the Bible, it lands open to Hosea 3.1, and this is your advice for the day. Then the Lord said to me again, Go, make love to a woman who has a lover and is involved in adultery, just as the Lord loves the people of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. (laughs) Raisin cakes. Right? So, So first of all, we're being instructed to break all kinds of commandments here, right? Just go do this. Go break all of these commandments, all of these laws. And why? Why? Because that's what, that's what God does for Israel. And Israel's got two problems. They worship other gods and love raisin cakes? I don't, I mean, what's the equivalent there? Like, why are we, why, what's the problem with the raisin cakes? I mean, I know some people really don't like raisins in their food. But come on, Right? And that's, that's what we're going to run into, which, by the way, makes reading the Bible a lot of fun. Y'all start watching for those verses. Um, but, but the reality is, is this passage that we've just read, it doesn't give answers. We're going to come back to that passage next week when we're trying to read together in community, and we'll see what the value of community is when you come across something like that. But the truth of the matter, what I think that this, this points to us is two things, which is what we need in order to read the Bible. One, we need each other. We need community. We need people that we can say, did you read that? Because that did not make any sense to me, right? But we also need God. We need to invite God into this space and say, God, I have big questions. I'm going to come into this space and I'm going to read And I want you to show up with me. And I want to wrestle with you. I want to wrestle with these hard questions. I want to wrestle with my life. I want to wrestle with the things that are challenging me. 
I want to wrestle with you, God. Because I will tell you what happens when you do that. One, you'll get a little hobbled. Just get ready. It's going to change you in a way. It's going to mark you in a way. When you encounter God through the scriptures, it, it impacts you. But the other thing is, is that you will draw closer to God because you can't wrestle from a distance. The only way you can wrestle is right together, face to face, with one another. And that's the point. That's the point. Scripture and the wrestling that we do around it draws us closer to God. And so, my friends, in the words of that great philosopher from the 80s and 90s, Mr. Michael Buffer, let's get ready to rumble! Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo at fumcbentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.